0: Welcome to today's episode of of the podcast. I want to welcome with me Miss Amanda Stone. Amanda, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: This is her first time doing something like this, and it's always a little bit uncomfortable the first time you do a podcast like this. Uh, She's done radio, and she's done things for the university, but this is always interesting to meet somebody for the first time and then welcome welcome them into the podcast. So Amanda, tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, in your career right now.
1: I just uh, started my first season at University of North Texas. I uh, left a job at Louisiana Tech after seven seasons, and so this is my third head coaching job.
0: Awesome! So the head the head women's coach at North Texas. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to have you on today. So tell us how you started your playing career. Um, as I, a junior.
1: Yeah, yeah, as a junior. So I think I, I think there's a picture of me when I'm like two or three years old with a racket in my hand. Um, my parents met at a tennis tournament. Um, our whole family plays, whether they play at a very high level or just, you know, competitive on holiday weekends, but yeah, all through, all growing up, we all play tennis.
0: Yeah. So we've got a, we had a guest on Dr. Neera Jayanti's uh, a physician in Atlanta and he has two children and he bought them both shirts and the shirts say, I'm told I like tennis. Yeah. So it sounds like that's what it was like for you and your family. Yeah. So started young. Uh, when At what point did you start getting lessons, getting competitive? And what did your, your junior career look like?
1: So I played all sports up until I was about, um, I think, 14. I had to narrow it down. My dad coached me. Most of the time, I took some lessons with our local high school coach, but never really was a part of a club, especially nothing like this here at Tucker. But um, I I chose tennis and basketball going into high school are the two sports I really chose to try to be good at. And basketball primarily is number one, actually. So I stopped playing um, summer tournaments then and started playing AAU basketball. But while I was still playing high level of tennis for juniors, um, I played USTA we were in the Missouri Valley section I think I was you know top top five six in the Missouri Valley it's, it's been a while ago <laughs> you know and yeah yeah um but yeah so I actually took the basketball route I played basketball at Oral Roberts and then transferred um and played and got a tennis scholarship at Northeastern State and played the so hold on so you started there.
0: so you started your college career as a basketball player at yes. Oral Roberts, just yes. down the street, right? sure. we're yeah. shooting this right here at, at uh, the Tucker Tennis Academy, uh, owned by the Genesis uh, Riverside Health Club facility. Um, so, just probably what a mile away is Oral Roberts. Yeah, University. I mean we can
1: see the the towers from here.
0: And so you started as a basketball player there, right? And uh, then at what point did you say, you know what, I'd rather play? college tennis that's actually interesting
1: it is interesting yeah i have a very interesting athletics path um you know i just wasn't a great fit for me at oral roberts um i i did transfer and went to a juco at eastern oklahoma state college and played another year of basketball i wasn't sure where i was going to go after that because it was a two-year college i took my i tagged along with my brother on a official visit to another college what was it cali college okay for golf
0: Yeah. okay. Yeah. Wait, he played golf? Yeah. Gotcha. okay.
1: Yeah, and um, the coach had recruited me to go there after Oral Roberts for tennis and basketball. And he was asking me what I was doing. I was like, I'm not sure yet. And he made a call to Northeastern State. They called me the next day. They're like... Where was it? Northeastern State.
0: Is that... So is that where you met Chris? How did you get to know Chris?
1: So after I graduated, I, cause I think Chris was at Southwest Baptist Got playing it. at the same time, but we didn't know each other then. But when we both coached later on, I was at Northeastern state. He was at Missouri Western and we met each other coaching.
0: Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really, so started as a basketball player transferred. Tell us what your college, uh, tennis career looked like.
1: It was, um, that fall before that first fall was a little rough. Hadn't played much tennis, you know, because I haven't played in basketball, but, um, I think my dad took me out every day that summer before we started and we just hit tons of balls again. And then my coach Ron Cox, uh, he was great with me. He, you know, he let me kind of like ease back into it. He didn't play me in a position that was going to be too frustrating to start. And, uh, by the time I was a sophomore then, cause I got to do five years of athletics cause I played okay, two sports. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I was a senior, I was one doubles. We were, our team was 11 in the nation. Our doubles team was ranked 11 in the nation and I was playing four and five singles. And I, I went undefeated my senior year.
0: Nice.
1: So so it started a little rough, kind of get my swing back and then it ended up really well.
0: Yeah. Just working hard at it. So after graduation and, and, Backing up to your junior tennis career, how many tournaments would you say you played uh, a month? What was your practice like? Would you say that it was more of a kind of a junior social career or semi serious?
1: I would say it was pretty serious up until I chose basketball. Um, so we did travel. We never went to a lot of national tournaments. And I guess we never pulled the trigger to get super serious in tennis because it's not what I wanted to do in college at the beginning makes sense. Um, but yeah, like I practiced a lot. I wanted to be the best when I, you know, at that sport when I was doing it. Sure. And, um, you know, we logged a lot of hours on the court and we traveled to all the Oklahoma tournaments, all the Missouri Valley tournaments until, you know, we switched gears and started traveling to all the basketball tournaments all around the country.
0: Well, and I say it all the time that good athletes find a way to be competitive in tennis. Um, regardless of when they find when they decide to get serious right right so it was very clear that you were doing multi-sport and I think every doctor would tell you right now doing the multi-sport was probably a really good thing for you yeah Um, but interesting to be able to play two different college sports uh, so clearly a great athlete so tell me once you graduated college finished your playing career as a as a collegiate athlete what did it what kind of a career did you go into after that
1: I was um journalism major, so I actually went into technical writing for a little while in Kansas City and worked
0: technical writing.
1: Yeah, I wrote the uh fitness Watch manual for Garmin really yeah um which
0: garmin's got a facility here? Was it here in Tulsa?
1: no we I don't think they had the facility here yet got it. so I was in Olathe, Kansas right outside of Kansas City, and I uh, just wasn't wasn't for me sitting in front of the computer all day. So decided to go to grad school. Didn't want to pay for it, <laughs> so, to be honest.
0: Everybody needs an assistant coach or something. Right? So I
1: was like, well, you know, I can try to, I'll try to coach, you know? And so I ended up going to a division three school, Rochester university, being the assistant coach there. Loved it. Loved working with players. I could feel like what I was doing was making an impact where I didn't feel that in my previous job. And my, um, Northeastern state, the head coaching job open, my former coach retired and I made a call to the athletic director. He's like, yeah, I'll put your application in. And I got really fortunate to get that job after assistant coaching for only two years. And that's how I kind of got on the path.
0: And what was the graduate degree in?
1: I was actually doing, um, my MBA at Rochester. I okay. have a really good business school. I didn't finish it. <laughs> um, which I I should, I guess I haven't the hours still, but when I went to Northeastern state, part of the coaching uh, contract was that you teach classes. So I have my, um, master's degree in kinesiology now. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so from there, then, uh, talk about your head coaching career, different universities, uh, and how you made it where you are now.
1: So Northeastern state was great. Um, it was familiar. It was easy for me. The transition, I was familiar with the place I played there. I knew what kind of players we needed to get to make the program very good. Again, when I played there, we were nationally ranked, like I mentioned, and it wasn't the first time that program had been nationally ranked. So we, uh, we got to work with the team that was there. He had recruited a good team, a good base. We got back in the rankings that year. I was there for four years. Um, we were conference champions. I think three of those four years when we had, I think three 20 twenty-win seasons and we, my team I played for had the school record of the highest national ranking. And so my last team I coached there broke that record and broke into the top 10.
0: So tell me about recruiting at a place like that. Did they give you the money to go and get a bunch of foreign players? Did you try to recruit locally? Were you? What was your philosophy in recruiting?
1: So there had always been um, more international. And even when I played, I, there were I was the only American on the team. Um, so we had a good pipeline of players coming in like that already there. And we sure. kept with that. We did bring in a girl from Bixby to play okay. while I was there. Yeah. And we had a girl from Nowata, Oklahoma, that was also on the team. Gotcha. So we had a handful, you know, a couple of Americans. It was mixed with international players.
0: So how much of the recruiting did you do as the coach? All of it. Yeah. And it sounds crazy to ask that question, but I have interviewed coaches that they leave the recruiting to the assistant coach.
1: Oh, I didn't have an assistant coach, an official assistant coach, actually. So I brought my dad on as the assistant coach. (laughs) The
0: volunteer, he was voluntold to be the assistant coach. He was
1: voluntold, yes. (laughs) So
0: so tell me then, um, walk me through the recruiting trips. Were you able to go and recruit foreigners? When you recruited them, did you get to go in person or was it just email, kind of walk... So there's a lot of parents out wondering about that.
1: Right. So um, at that school at that time, and I can't speak for it now, but we did not have the budget for me to travel to recruit. So I went to the state high school tournament. Okay. All right. You know, I would make, make recruiting trips that I could afford to go, but it was all in the States. Uh, we just did not have enough money to go overseas to recruit. So
0: did you have to manage your budget in that? Did they say you've got a budget and your budget tennis-wide included recruiting? Yes. Okay, yes. yeah, that makes it tough.
1: Yeah, and then we had some donor money, Um we would do fundraisers to, like, you know, add to that budget, but it was it was very small. There was no, no space for a flight to Europe.
0: I think a lot of folks don't realize, um, you know, people out there wonder, why is this college good and that one's not? Or this college is great, and this one's only good. And why are they not recruiting players from all over the country? Uh, You look at like Georgia Gwinnett, Mm -hmm. which is like, I think, in men, D2 or D3, I can't remember. And there are years where they're beating up on really good D1 teams because they're recruiting foreign players and and really good American players. Mm -hmm. Um, But they've got an administration who's... Committed to them, right? Uh, and allowing them to travel all over the country. Wake Forest back in the day was doing the same thing. They were flying to, you know, islands off the coast of Spain to recruit. So a lot of times, the recruitment of the player when you can't travel becomes difficult. Right. How how many players did you also find just via uh, like email, and they reached out to you, or you reached out to them digitally?
1: Yeah, so at that first job, it, would, it was a lot like that. It was a lot of scouring YouTube, looking for videos, seeing
0: Facebook groups and yeah. stuff. What year was that?
1: I started there 2013, spring of 2013. Yeah. So
0: there was like a, the college tennis co- uh, coaching you, you know, mm-hmm. a Facebook group that you right. could find folks. And when you would reach out to people, would they were they pretty open to responding?
1: It depends. You know, some were, some weren't. You know, like I think a lot of times players get stuck on, you know, what division it is. Really? And instead of maybe what level the school is, you know, what tennis level it is. Right. And um, that was a battle that we had to fight sometimes. Gotcha. Recruiting at Northeastern State. So, and
0: so from there, what was the next uh, next
1: stop? Next stop, I was at Louisiana Tech. Okay. And I... Um, uh, tell me the city.
0: Uh, Reston? Reston? Yeah, yeah. Reston. That's what yeah. I thought.
1: Yeah, yeah. Reston. And um, took over that program. It was a complete rebuild. Um a lot of players who graduated took that job a little late and then they had a lot of seniors as well. So we had to bring in a big recruiting class to gotcha. start. So that that took a little while to so get that program running and we ran into a COVID year. And mm-hmm. and
0: so you arrive, a lot of seniors are leaving your, what was that, 2019?
1: No, I took that in uh, 2017 was my first spring. So there.
0: 2017. And so three years in, you're running into COVID, making it more difficult. Yeah. Tell, what was the recruiting philosophy there?
1: At the beginning was to get a roster
0: <laughs> and just build a team.
1: <laughs> just you know, get us Was up Dad
0: volunteered to help there too?
1: Uh, not in the very beginning. Um, but <laughs> a little too far away. Yeah, it was. I think it's a seven-hour trip with no stops from here. So we're from here.
0: In, um, oh, you're from Tulsa. From Claremore. Gotcha.
1: So, um, so no, he he helps me like from afar. Got know, it over the phone. You know, kind of yep, yep. run some things off off him, but. Yeah, in the beginning that was, you know, was building a team. You know, we had a, I had to change, like, what type of player I was looking for because we were competing in a different level. Um, so it kind of started over with renewing, like, contacts, making new contacts with um, recruiting agencies, with academies. Well,
0: and that's 2017. So if I remember right, that you're right around the birth of UTR. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not quite there. And, and I remember those early UTRs and how much they've changed. Oh, yeah. Um, my child played in a national tournament and there was a 12 year old back then that was uh, like an 11 UTR Mm -hmm. and watching him play. Now he'd be like a eight and a half, right? The UTRs were trying to figure out where that the each player is. So tell me how much back then was it like tennis recruiting and you're looking at four or five star and blue chip? What, how did you measure players prior to UTR?
1: Um, yeah, tennis recruiting. I, I used, um, and then you know it's just all, my eye,
0: okay, so, but yeah. if you couldn't go see them if they're in Russia and you didn't have a it was it video,
1: yeah, with video, really, yeah, so you know they're
0: how accurate was that because they're gonna always show you like the very best of what they can do,
1: for sure, yeah, <laughs> and we like to see a video where you're playing points, preferably a match, parents,
0: so a whole a whole <laughs> uh, match, okay, yes,
1: because you know you can't um you can't, identify. You can't manipulate can, yeah, that, yeah right. Mean, we want to see, like, a real match, not someone that's just right. right. But um, yeah, you know, you have the risk of missing. But um, you know, they can't fake how well they move. They can't fake, you know, like how what how what they look technically like. And you know, if I didn't think they were a good athlete, I wouldn't take the risk. A lot sure. of the times.
0: Okay, so if they had like if they're very pretty strokes out there hitting it, looking but you noticed a lack of athleticism, you might look for a, or.
1: I mean, maybe like if they had great strokes and, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's hard to, it's hard to you explain know it when you because see it, like yeah. it, it is, it's just kind of more, it's like a feeling that can, hey, this kid looks like she can play, you know? Gotcha. And then I did learn a big lesson there is to look at the results. And, you know, sometimes these players are playing at like higher level people, but losing all the time. Versus maybe they're not going to as high level tournaments, but they're winning all the time.
0: So and what so are we, you looking for? Which one of those two?
1: I started gravitating more towards kids that would win. Really? Yeah, because it's hard to teach someone how to win and have that, you know, that competitiveness. Sure. So
0: so a low uh, if they're if they're always looking to be at a higher UTR and compete against players a little bit better than them, but they're always losing. That was kind of a, a negative for you.
1: I wouldn't say it was necessarily a negative, but you know, if you're going to these UTR tournaments and you're like maybe a high nine, but you're never beating anybody above you, and you're losing to players below you, and your results are based off your close right. losses, you know, maybe it's better for me in a certain situation to take someone that's a, a nine that's winning some matches above their range. And that has that more of that upside, and they understand how to win.
0: It's interesting because a lot of coaches are very uh, interested in where the UTR falls. Mm-hmm. But so parents and and I think kids also will kind of chase raising their UTR. Yeah. But but then when they get to college, you need them to win. You yeah. need you. We need we need the singles point. I mean the doubles point, and then we need a singles court right, right? from right. them. And so it's kind of an interesting balance because they're trying to get the UTR to a point where somebody will recruit them. Yeah. But then once they're recruited and they walk on court, they've got to win.
1: Yeah, exactly. That
0: makes a lot of sense. So uh, from, from there, now you've made it to where you are now.
1: Yep. So tell us a
0: little bit about the university. What would make your, your five minute sales pitch to players and parents out there.
1: Okay. I um, had a great few years at Louisiana tech and um, we ended last year nationally ranked. So, I got D1
0: also D1, nationally ranked.
1: D1 nationally ranked we
0: And nationally ranked you're saying top 25, top
1: Top 75.
0: Top 75, okay.
1: So, we we broke into the rankings uh, I think at 64 and then we ended up um I think ending this season at 73. Okay. Um and so we had a lot of opportunity for me in my career. I was named coach of the year three times for a conference for ITA region and Ford state of Louisiana.
0: Awesome. Congratulations.
1: Thanks. So I, um, I did get a lot of, calls about job openings because there was a lot of job shifting over the summer last year. Really? Mm -hmm. Why do
0: you think, do you think COVID kind of settled down and then people started moving or what do you think the reason for that was?
1: Um, They, they approved having that other assistant
0: Yeah, Yeah. The third coach, the second assistant. Um,
1: Yeah. The other coach spot. And I think a lot of, a lot of people thought that was a really good job to go to a school that pays more money. And maybe you're getting paid the same as you were as a head coach, but now you're at a higher level. So a lot of shifting went around.
0: Gotcha.
1: Um, and then I, you know, I got, I got calls from power five schools. I got asked, I got offers from lots of different schools, but you know, North Texas to me has everything that we need to make it an elite program. It's got the location, it's got the money, it's got the facility. Tell us where it is. It's in Denton, Texas. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've been, I've been there. It's a what is it? About an hour northeast of, of Houston, or so. What?
1: No, actually, maybe we're only regionally. Thirty minutes from Dallas.
0: Thirty minutes from Dallas. So how far from Houston? Then maybe three hours. Well,
1: probably four and a half because okay. we're on the north side of Dallas.
0: Gotcha. So thirty minutes from Dallas. So a player that's going to fly from outside the country would probably fly into Dallas and then drive.
1: Yeah. The airport is 32 minutes from us.
0: <laughs> You've probably driven it a bunch of times. Yeah.
1: We've driven that yeah, several times already.
0: So you mentioned uh, location. That is a great spot. Yeah. Also, tell me about uh, recruiting and how they've invested in how how you're able to recruit.
1: Um, the budget is amazing. So we have enough money to see players to really know who we're bringing into the program, which... You know, like you mentioned before, seeing them in person versus seeing them only on a video, yeah, it makes a huge difference. And there's a lot less, you know, questions. And um, yeah, they've they've invested a ton of money in athletics, they have their facilities, all kinds of things. And I think it has everything we need.
0: What about what do the facilities look like?
1: We have uh, awesome facilities. We have 12 courts. We have a big clubhouse. Um, we have um we have scoreboards on every court we, it's
0: probably a place you don't have to play much indoor unless no, it's raining it's right. probably warm warm enough all year round
1: yeah so we haven't we we had one match that had a little bit of rain that we had to move indoor so far and we oh,
0: y'all do have an indoor though
1: we don't have an indoor but it's a facility
0: have, partnership or something
1: right but we are in an area we have access to so many places and yeah, gotcha. we have those those partnerships in line um but yeah we have live streaming there it's it's really great awesome
0: awesome so Tell me, um as you're recruiting as a coach and you make visits like you're making to the Tucker Tennis Academy or other places, just always searching for players uh and we've at, we've had tons of coaches on the podcast, and we always ask them what is the first thing you look at when you're looking to recruit a player? What would you say your first thing is that you look at if a player reaches out
1: if a like blindly reaches just out just
0: blindly to me, reaches out
1: I do check their u t r that's
0: what every coach says, and I don't blame them. I would do the same. I can tell you, my child, every time he plays a match, the first thing he does is check the UTR.
1: Yeah, we are. Everyone is obsessed with that. That's true. Um, but it does give us, it does give me a great indication of the range and the level that they're starting at because, you know, it's the truth that we have certain levels. We need certain levels at sure. certain times. And so that is a good indicator. I need to give this person a, a serious lick. And then I always check, of course, if they have a video it's helpful if they send one with their email
0: with their email yeah
1: mm-hmm. and yeah if it's something that i like on the video see ask contact them see when they're going to be playing maybe where i can watch them play or if they could if i can't watch them play maybe they could record a match in an upcoming tournament oh yeah yeah sure um and then i always like to ask what other results they have that may not be tracked on the utr
0: gotcha so tell me what I mean, that's all really interesting. Tell me what, uh, like if you think about your number one player and your number six player, what does that UTR range look like? And um, then I've got a question follow-up because there's some listeners that have daughters that are, I would imagine, somewhere in that range, and they're having their first experience with recruiting.
1: Yeah. And
0: they've noticed that coaches aren't necessarily reaching out. They're having to be the one to reach out. So I want to ask a question about that. But tell me kind of your range on your team.
1: So, our team right now is uh very deep. We have um a lot of players that they're not that much different in their range um but our number one player is she's close to a nine five u t r she's a freshman okay and she uh she's playing one one and two for us, and our other players like almost exactly the same. She's been up to like a nine six, but right now currently. Uh, she's coming off an injury. I think she's around a nine four as well. Got it. And then our sixth player is a uh, sh- eight nine.
0: Got it. So it is eight. a it's a it's a tight range. Yeah. But it also speaks to and obviously you're always looking for players that are as good as you can get. Right. But it speaks to and I say this all the time for parents. There's there's a place for everybody. So if your okay. child plays tennis, there's a place for them to go play. Whether mm-hmm. they decide basketball is no longer for them and they want to yeah. play tennis at school or if they're the number one player in the country or in the world. There's a place for everybody. Um, and I think it's always good because one of the things I've noticed with my child, the first thing he does when a coach reaches out is, oh, let me go look at the UTR ranges because he wants to see can Kenny even play, right? Am right. I going to get on the court? He doesn't want to go somewhere that he's going to be number nine, ten. Yeah. And I know a lot of people say, well, just work hard and move your way up the lineup. Uh, we did a study on the Payers and Players podcast where Scott, the co-host that does it with me, Uh, He went, he took all the female top hundred girls when they were in ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And then he looked at what their UTR was as as a senior. And uh, for the majority, there was next to no change. Where boys, there was huge change. Wow. Right? So like the number one girl in the country actually went down Mm -hmm. from ninth grade to 12th grade. Uh, And what we noticed across that study is, uh, and this isn't true for all of them, but the majority of girls, what they were in ninth grade was pretty much where they were as a senior. So you see players that say, "Well, it, then I'm going to go and I'm going to I'm going to be number 8, work my way into number 4 or mm-hmm. 3 or 2." Have you do you see that happen very often or when they get there do they pretty much find their spot in the lineup and then that's where they end up being throughout their career?
1: I you know, a lot of it the way the players I recruit depends on I guess a little bit how hungry they are about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Um I've had players make huge jumps in my lineup because player development is really a big strength of mine. Um so all of my players actually improve their UTRs quite a bit after really? the program a year usually it takes about 2 years to see a pretty big jump
0: but So tell us about that because most coaches would say it actually goes down once they come to college and you're saying that you see some that work hard actually yeah. go up. Well explain to me what you're doing to make that happen. This is I can tell you there okay. are parents that are listening right now that are like okay I've, I haven't been listening good but I'm going to turn the volume up right now.
1: Okay well first let me say that Almost every freshman that comes in the college, their UTR does drop.
0: That's a, every – I was talking to the Oral Roberts women's coach. Yeah. He said the exact same thing.
1: Almost every, every time, at least like half a point.
0: And he said a lot of times a point.
1: Yeah, and that's why I'm saying at least half a point they drop. So you always consider that, them coming in.
0: So if they are – if they're currently a nine five you're going, okay, I think maybe as a freshman they'll actually be playing in the nine range.
1: Yeah, and then you also are thinking about when you're coaching that my player that's in the nine range right now, if she, you know, she should be committed to what we're doing, she should actually be better by the time that freshman comes in. Okay. You know, so. So,
0: but tell me what you're doing because just like you said, most are dropping. What are you doing on a day-to-day practice, working on if you are technique, what are you doing to help them improve?
1: You know um, I think it is just a lot of the players that we come in are like have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder are the kind of players that I like that yeah. are just really wanting to prove themselves and just really buys into the culture that we have. Like where we're fighting, you know, we're not making excuses. We're doing the work and like they're hungry to do something while they're in school, not just play the matches. Like, Um, at Louisiana tech, the last two years, last two seasons we had, our players have set nearly every record for that school and they've had good teams in the past too. Right. Um, but you know, we just had players that had that, that high expectation. And then again, like we're looking for a certain type of player that we think have upside to start with.
0: And it could be physical upside, but it also, like you said, could be a chip on their shoulder.
1: Yeah. It's, it's great if it's both.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We, you know, we had a, when we did that study girls, top hundred girls pretty much stayed the same, but we had a boy go from a seven, nine to a twelve five, between ninth and 12th grade. Wow. Huge jumps. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's a big jump in four years. Um, when you're recruiting players, do you see some that you can tell are maybe late developers and you, or early developers where you walk up and you see, okay, this player is probably my wife always says in seventh grade, she's as tall as she is today. Yeah. Um, but then you also come up on some that you say, Okay, I think she's going to continue to grow.
1: Yeah, I always try to have a good assessment of that. Like I do that is one thing I kind of think about when I look at players and I am looking at their results and looking at them athletically, you know, are are they are what they are and is that good enough for them to stay at that level? Because sometimes it is. Sure. You know, and sometimes that's fine. And then
0: I mean, if they're a ten five, that's yeah, pretty like, dang I'm, good. I'm take, let's let's I'm keep them a ten five.
1: Come on, you can stay as ten five as long as you're here. That's right. And then you know, and then versus like some players, you do look at well, maybe they didn't start until they were like twelve, right? And Still some
0: room to improve. There. There's
1: some room to improve. They're they're challenging these people that are above them. They have some wins outside their range, you know? So maybe these are players that can come in and they really buy in and they do make that jump.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, being in a university, that's not, uh, you know, and I think every coach thinks of it different when I coach, I coach both football and golf and we were at a, uh, in a little town. And mm-hmm. so you have to squeeze every ounce out of every player that you can to be successful. Uh, if you're at, a, a, you know, the university of Southern California, it's probably a little bit bit easier to just get who you want and just let them compete. Right. Um, So you're, you're trying to squeeze every little bit out of every player that you recruit, which I guarantee every parent is proud to hear that they want to see their child get better. Yeah. Um, So tell us uh, just kind of transitioning. Tell us kind of what your upcoming season looks like. I know we're in February, so y'all probably played some matches already.
1: Yep. We, so our, our season is, has started. We played nine matches already. So we're sitting at six and three and right now being in like, I call it year zero, but my first year sure. with this team, um, really, really like emphasizing our culture, we're emphasizing like how we compete with our efforts and with our determination and, um, kind of letting the results take care of themselves and sure. judging ourselves on, Hey, did we compete this match? Did we bring everything that we had to the court? Every player got it. And we've done well up to this point. Our team's super young. We have four freshmen, three sophomores and only one junior. And she's been hurt these first nine matches and she's one of our top players. So we've, we've been in a little bit of a challenge as a young team without having that upperclassman, better player in the lineup. So it's been really good to see how we've responded to that as a team and those things that are important to our program. Um, and three of our losses were four, three losses. Does everyone understand the scoring? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, it did, we did, we were in the battle. We were, came down to the last court. May have been
0: the, do- the doubles point or yeah, whatever. One,
1: one was the doubles point. one, we just didn't quite turn it on, in, you know, in singles. in singles where we needed to at the right moments. But, you know, we gave ourselves a pathway, gave ourselves an opportunity, and we were able to respond the next week. And, um, we got a huge win already against University of Houston.
0: Oh, congrats!
1: Yeah, and then um, we're going into some tough matches. And the next, we're coming into a kind of rough part of our schedule. So, it's a give us like the, the hard,
0: the, the three schools that you're kind of targeting when you say rough, a rough
1: patch. We got um, Florida International coming in. FIU, yeah, they're this good. Week and Grand Canyon University. Okay. So both of those teams were nationally ranked last year. Um, then we're and then we got a couple conference matches and coming. Luckily, all these matches are at home. Maybe give us a little bit of an edge. And then we're flying out to California to play um, a couple other, a conference team in, a, in Liberty University.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Usually a top 75 team. Hugh
0: Freeze, the former football coach there. Yeah. I know he was also at Ole Miss. I'm an Ole Miss grad. Okay. So uh, that's interesting. Who else?
1: Who else after that?
0: Liberty's pretty good. The, all of those are really good. I was like,
1: that's like that's like three weeks. Uh.
0: <laughs> I think you know one of the things. A lot of parents. We we have a listener on the podcast that her child uh, went to a, a smaller university and played one, mm-hmm. and in his senior year uh, had JJ Wolf on the ropes in a third set, who played in the Australian Open. And if he had chosen a different university because he was sort of a late developer they may have put him five or six in the lineup and he wouldn't have got to play ever got to play against a player like JJ at one against Ohio state. Right. So I think a lot of the parents out there, it really matters to them what the schedule looks like. Yeah. Because they can choose, uh, what what would you call yourselves a a mid major?
1: Yeah, I would say, yeah, we are considered a mid major, but we we're in the American conference. Sure. So the American conference has has TV deals. You know, we have like, we're recently, all the schools are resources like power fives. Yeah. So we are the top tier of I guess. Makes sense. Well and the
0: reason I say that is they can choose a mid major. If that mid major has a really good schedule. Right. Then they're still going to get to play and, and some of those parents want their child to play in girl what would you say the, the girl the range of girls that are going to be top ten in women's college tennis? What what's their UTR? Ten and a half ish, eleven? Is it
1: Yeah, I mean the top 10 teams, they're...
0: Well, the, like the top 10 girls, individuals, what would you oh, say? Oh, the top
1: 10 individuals. Girls, I mean, yeah. yeah so what do you
0: think their UTR range is generally?
1: Oh, they're, yeah, they're all definitely over 10s, okay. like mid-10s mid and higher.
0: Got it. And so some, there may be some parents out there that their child's a 9-9. Nine, nine, yeah. And they say, I'll pick a mid-major. My, my child's going to play one, but they're going to be playing those top girls, if the coach picks a good schedule, right? Right. And so I think you picking a competitive schedule, I know a lot of the schedules are done prior to you coming. So you're probably inheriting a little bit of it. Yeah. But how intentional are you about choosing a schedule? That's quite difficult.
1: Oh yes. I think the scheduling is a huge part of the job. Um, And you have to schedule, you know, when you're growing a program to your program as well, because we want to have matches that challenge us and learn how to win those tough matches. And then you can tackle those teams that are, more above you and like play above your talent level. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very important. We have, um, we have power five teams on our schedule. We have, we have teams that are like pretty equal with us on our schedule. we have, um, teams that, you know, we are better than, but we have to play better than sure. beats. And so I think all types of those matches are important. Yeah.
0: Makes sense. Well, one more question. And then I want you to tell people how they can get a hold of you. What is, what is something in tennis now that you're at this point in in your career that people believe to be true that you just think' kind of crazy <laughs> the, the consensus believes this thing and you're like i I just totally disagree
1: I, I don't know that's like a tough question What's uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally true and it's not true
0: well it, it, there's a you know the consensus believe it and for I'll give you an example of one for me. Uh, I think the general consensus believes I should go play at the, the best university that I get recruited at, or I can get into. And I think that's to- that's crazy. I think you should pick a range. I want to be number two or mm-hmm. three or four and go where you'll play.
1: Okay. I got right? I got you. I understand your question now. No, I actually, actually totally agree with you. I think that a lot of people need to look at what's the best fit for them and what their goals are. Because a lot of times I think because it's the name, it's not necessarily better. Gotcha. It's not better for you in terms of your development. It's not better for you in terms of like how much investment you'll get as a player. And, you know, you want to be at a place that you connect with the coach, you connect with the players, and that they understand the path that you're on and the timing for you to become the best player you can be.
0: Yeah. Totally agree. So tell us, any parent that's out there that wants to get a hold of you, how how can they do that?
1: Um, I you can follow me on Instagram. I'm really good at checking that. It's a lot of recruiting on Instagram for me. It's, okay. Yeah. Um, so it's Coach Amanda Stone on Instagram. Okay. Um, I'm also on Facebook, where you can email me. Which, to be honest, Instagram is the best way. But my email is amanda dot stone. Two, like a number two because apparently there's more than sure. one Amanda Stone at UNT but it's amanda.stone2 at UNT.edu
0: perfect well thanks so much for being on yeah. I, mean, I enjoyed it thanks baby you can give me ice and
1: fire you're giving me
2: wind and rain you're some kind of butterfly Whip up my appetite Don't leave me I high drive